Good morning. Great to see you today. Before I jump in here to the uh, sermon, I just wanted to share one other thing uh, that they'd asked me to talk about. Um, probably very aware that we have gotten super active as far as doing missions trips. And we've already, we were in Arizona this summer. Um, some people have already been on trips this fall. And uh, next June, uh, we have a group from this church going to the uh, um, Dominican Republic. And um, that's exciting. It is so exciting to watch. I think the next year is Haiti. Um, next year also, there's a, a group of kids going to NYC uh, in Phoenix. And that's a, uh, that's, there would be a missional type of activity there. But just really excited. And one thing that uh, uh, the Dominican Republic trip is doing is they are just raising extra funds. Um, and so they have uh, created and are selling this T-shirt, all right? And um, great material, feels great, 13 bucks. Um, and this will go to, to just to help them on their trip. You get a shirt out of it, and you also get to, to uh, support missions in our church. So I think it's a win-win for you. And... Um, but the shirt is, is this. It's out in the lobby, or the order form's out in the lobby. They're not out in the lobby yet. But if you're interested, um, that's what's going on at that table out there. I'd uh, love to have you jump in and participate in this. Um, 13 bucks. If you order by next Sunday, you could have it in time for Christmas. But this goes on all month. This, through December 30th, you can order at any time. Um, but if you'd like to, you know, give this to somebody for Christmas or uh, wear it, I don't know, Christmas Eve service or something. Um, just, just order it by next Sunday. But uh, another cool thing that's going on uh, with our church, and I'm just, I am really pumped about all the stuff, all the trips, all the activity that's happening in our missions department. And so this is just another way that that's happening, and you can be a part of it um, as well. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in a family of 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 history buffs. Um, I joked uh, about the fact that I hoped my mom and dad were not watching first service. Um, I know they're not right now because they're in church, so I can speak freely. No. But, um, you know, it was just the world I grew up in. Um, I didn't know it wasn't mainstream or normal. Uh, It was a little eccentric, just to be quite honest. Um, my parents' passions and some of their interests um, had to do with stuff like that. So I kid you not, va- vacations for me were, uh, I found out later, they weren't normal. Um, like, yeah, there was fun and there might have, you know, an amusement park here and, and a fun activity, go to a, a fun destination. But always included in those trips were, uh, were, were stops and visits, and half days, and full days, to um, historical sites, and, and I get that we all like, you know, you're going, you're going in Pennsylvania, and you're, maybe you're driving to Washington, D.C., and you want to go to Gettysburg, that's a big one, right, significant place, some of you are like, what, I don't even know, what that. <laughs> okay, but I could get, like, yeah, we went to Gettysburg, but you got to understand, my family was like, it was ridiculous, I mean, if there was a historical marker, 50 miles, I mean, we, it was just, it was crazy. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize this wasn't normal until I, you know, 
I, uh, I marry my wife, and she's kind of like, that's not super normal. I just thought that was kind of, my in-laws are here today, so uh, they're here, so I can't talk about them, but I'll talk about them. <laughs> I'll talk about them next Sunday. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of weird, and compound it with the fact that um, my sister marries a guy who is a college professor who teaches, guess what? History. And so, honestly, Thanksgivings and Christmases, I'm sure if you were able to look in, you would think it was a little bit odd. And i got to be honest with you, I sat there this Thanksgiving in a chair in 2018, surrounded by people who were having a discussion about 150 years ago. I was in there thinking, you know what, this is a little odd. I'm kind of seeing the light now, like, you know, um, it's just it's just kind of our, our family dynamic. But um, I feel like that it can be easy for us to get fixated on <clears throat> events that have happened, especially in this season, the uh, Christmas story. And we can kind of compartmentalize it as, well, it was just a historical event. Um, man, I, I love to think about it, the beauty of it, the way it went down, um, the characters involved, um, you know, and, and somebody will tell you something new about it, and you're like, oh, wow, that, you know, that's really, and we just kind of, that happened 2,000 years ago, and we put it there, and we kind of observe it, and in this season, we kind of get fixated on history. All the while, um, forgetting that the plan of God is much bigger than just history. The plan of God was that he would come once into our world so that he might return to come twice. And actually, what we do in this season of Advent is we do this. We celebrate his first coming, and in that celebration of his first coming, it causes us to then anticipate even more his second coming. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that really what this all is, is just, it, it really, the, the first coming was just an event in a series of events that form the plan of God. When we celebrate Christmas, it's just a part of the process of what is actually greater to come. You see, sometimes we make it like, the best has already happened. Like, wow, that was amazing. Like, you know, starry night, angels, shepherds, wise men. That was amazing. And we're like, we're like all now living, looking back, saying that was the most amazing thing in the world. The best has happened. I would tell you the story of God in Scripture reveals that the best is yet to come. He came once so that he might return and come again. And in that coming again, he is going to do the best thing. That is restore this world to its original design. Amen? You guys don't look like you believe the best is yet to come. 
you do not believe me today. It is. Actually, Advent Christmas is just a precursor to the best that still is to happen. He comes once so that he might come twice so that he might restore the world. And you know what's beautiful about this story, though, is in the nature of this story, in the way that it goes down, we learn a little bit about what it means to see God come into our world. The circumstances of that story help give flesh to the bone of the reality that he came. It helps us to see those characters in that story, where they were at, what the circumstances were, how they were surprised, how they didn't see it coming. And it helps us to see what God does, how he does it, and what he continues, what he is going to continue to do with us. This is how he is. This is how he works. This is what I can know about God. And so as we jump into the Advent season, right? I really want to share this first Sunday, this, this story. Um, it's a story of a role player in the story of Christmas. Uh, someone that you probably, we could go this whole season and you would not even maybe mention their name or give thought to them. It'd be easy to do that. No, no big deal. But yet, Luke who wrote the gospel that we read probably the most of the Christmas story, opened his whole gospel with this story. And there's a reason why God inspired Luke to do that. He's trying to communicate to us something that's valuable, that's important. It's actually a way for us to grab a hold of this. It's a way for us to inform us on the nature of how God comes into our world. He's come, he is coming. And how he came then is kind of his nature and informs us how God interacts with our world, what he does, how he acts, who, who, who were the people involved then, and where were they at when he came. And I think this story has the ability to give you and I a tremendous amount of hope. A tremendous amount of hope. It starts this way, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. So he's introducing Jesus, correct? Um, and he's going to start with this story. Now, to give you some context, we're going to be looking at a man named Zechariah to help us understand where Zechariah lived and, and in the culture and the context of where he lived. Zechariah was a man who lived in this first century, um, uh, well, it became the first century, the way we measure it, it's a Jewish state right? It was a nation, but it was in captivity, correct? We read about Zechariah that he belonged to the priestly division of Abinadab. Now, and we also read that his wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. Now, Aaron was Moses' brother, correct? Aaron was the priest. Aaron's descendants became the priests of Israel. And so we quickly are introduced to this man, Zechariah, and we realize that, well, he is a preacher's kid, and he married a preacher's kid kind of idea. 
both of them, like, they, they're in the family business, so to speak. Uh, like, my dad was a priest. My grandpa was a priest. My uncles are priests. We're just the, we're the descendants of Aaron. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I, am, I belong to the priestly division of Abinadjah. Um, this is who we are. And you've got to remember that all through the history of Israel, now in Zechariah's time, since 2,000 years since the nation was formed, that there had been this group of people and it had shrunk smaller and smaller and smaller, who continued to believe that the nation Israel was something special, that they were God's chosen people, and that the promise that God had made to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to form from you a great nation, and that nation is going to bless the rest of the world. Okay? 2,000 years since that had been spoken to Abraham is when Zechariah is living. Now, a lot has went down in 2,000 years. It started off fantastic. Abraham leaves, he goes, and absolutely, all of a sudden, you know, there's uh, Jacob, uh, there's Isaac, there's Joseph, there's captivity, but yet there's Moses, there's Red Sea, there's wilderness, but then yet there's Canaan, and then there's generation after generation and this, this country starts to build and everybody is like, yes, God did it. Abraham, all these people now, country, land. And he began to grow and grow and be blessed, right? And all of a sudden you come to a point where uh, they got so big and, and they looked around and said, hey, we should have kings. And you remember Saul and then David. And David becomes the pinnacle David and then Solomon, his son, becomes this pinnacle where Israel is absolutely a major player in the world. Absolutely, it's easy to believe and know. God said to Abraham he was going to start a nation, and I see it. I see it. And I'll bet you that, that nation, I'll bet you they are going to bless the world. I, I know they are, because look at them. And then you remember the story, right? Solomon's reign, it just ends terribly. And all of a sudden, you begin to read through the books of the Old Testament and you see a, a people that disintegrate, literally, that lose influence and lose power, that have kings that are wicked. And God, you know, uh, it does not favor them because of this. You see a people that uh, come into captivity from other, from other peoples. And you see even them being dragged into exile, their capital, Jerusalem, being demolished and being dragged away from their own homeland for 70 years. You see them come back and, and rebuild it after 70 years. But yet, even when they do that, they are controlled by another people. In fact, from the time that, that De, uh, Solomon and Israel was at its highest glory to the time that Zechariah now lives, 20, over 25 times the people of Israel have, been, have changed uh, masters. 25 times. First of all, we're, we're slaves to the, you know, the Persians and the Syrians and the, the, uh, the Greeks and on and on and on until we come to Zechariah's day as a priest of this 
people. And you would look around and say, wow, something did not go right. (laughs) The promise of God was to build a nation that was going to bless the world. And really, Israel is just a little speck of dust in the Roman Empire. That's when Zechariah lives. But we read this about Zechariah. Both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, you want to know what this really means? You can hire a private investigator, have them sit, stake out uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. You're not going to find any dirt. When God says that somebody's living blamelessly, that's who they were. Now you think about that. Here are these people who are believing and hoping in God's word and in God's promise. They have watched now the fact that God had promised something. It had started, it had went, the bottom fell out. And yet you have a couple that still hope regardless of circumstances. That still cling to the promise of God regardless of what is right in front of them. You know, I've thought about this this week, and I have to be honest with you. I think that all of us, if you're going to follow Jesus, and if you are a Christ follower, you have probably come to an experience, a season, a period, a time of your life when you have had these thoughts. I am living this way. I am clinging to this truth. I am believing in this word, and yet it seems like everything is going backwards. And you see, in Zechariah's day, God had not spoken to a prophet for 400 years. And God had not done something in their their country for about 700 years. Can you imagine Zachariah? It's got to be like, I'm getting up, I'm believing, I'm hoping. But wouldn't you say it would be, I, I think you'll see this in a minute, I'm being valid. You'd be thinking, why in the world am I doing this? God is silent. God is so quiet God is not active all around him. Can you identify with that? Have you had those thoughts? Have you experienced that, God? I just, you seem quiet. You seem silent. You seem inactive. I've prayed. I'm living this way. I'm But where are you at, God? For us in 
21st century America, it's not, nor, it's not probably, God, I, I don't know where my next meal's coming from. I don't know where, we probably don't have those questions, but I'm telling you, we are such a broken people in so many ways. Our relationships, I mean, it's amazing if you look at our, at our country. Do you, do, you, do you realize the amount of, of heartbreak and heartache that's happening? And people who are searching and longing for something because of the brokenness that they exist in. Even though we have so much material blessing, we're so broken. And I promise you today that there are people, if they're not in this room, they're all over the place. They're asking, where are you, God? Why are you silent? Why do you seem to be inactive and I would say that that's Zechariah. I mean, he's seeing nothing. And yet every day he's getting up, doing the right thing, believing and hoping. And we read this. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. So let's compound the issue for Zechariah with the fact that he's doing this He's living this way when everything around him is just disintegrating more and more and more. More of his people, the Jewish people, are just abandoning their hope and their faith in the promises of God because they're looking around saying, there's nothing to this. God doesn't care about us. I mean, look, we're, we're, we're under Roman oppression. We, we, it's, it's worse and worse and worse. He's living in this world and he's remaining faithful no doubt living with a lot of doubt. And then you compound it with the idea that him and Elizabeth can't have children. And that is obviously a painful thing for them. I mean, you think about that culture in that day for Elizabeth um, to not be able to conceive uh, was, was, a, was one of the worst things that could happen to you. I don't, this is not right, no, saying this in any way but really in that culture women's pinnacle experience was childbirth that's that's their value and she's not able to experience that so there's i don't feel valuable i don't and then compound it with the idea that 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 they really thought that you know well they didn't have any idea that medically it might not be the woman right we know now that sometimes the reason why you might not be able to have kids is the man. Then they had no clue. They just always thought it was the woman, right? Does that sound familiar? I always thought it. <clears throat> and then there's this idea that if you had children, God favored you. If you didn't have children, God was somehow cursing you. You weren't favorable to him. And here are these people who are living, she's got shame, no doubt. There's pain in her heart. I mean, this is not a very hopeful situation. Really not. And yet, they continue to cling and do what's right and believe and hope and trust. I want to stop for a minute before I keep going And remind you that there are some similarities 
between Zacharias' context and ours. I live in a bubble, okay? I get the little Christian bubble here, kind of, but, you know. Like, and I sense every day the weight of this broken, fallen world where many times it, it's easy for me to ask, God, why are you not moving and working and changing? And God, why is this happening? Right? Is it just me? Absolutely not. I don't think so. And I can't see you by now because those lights are super bright today. And like literally I have, I'm blind. I have like white in my eyes and I think that's Matt Bressler, but I'm not sure. Right? The weight of our fallen, broken world. It's similar to Zechariah, I would say. And the idea that, think about this. I challenge you. Go into your local university or go somewhere and stand up and say, Jesus Christ is coming again. I I dare you to do it. Can I go and eat some popcorn and watch in the corner? How do you think our world responds to something like that? What? That's the culture we live in. It's the culture Zachariah lived in. Messiah coming? I think God's abandoned us is more like the thing. We got going good for a little while, but that's over. And now we're on our own. And really, Zachariah and Elizabeth, you'd be better off just to, just to get out, do your own thing, enjoy the remaining days you have, and let go of this whole thing. And I would say that that's similar to the culture context we live in. The idea that God is going to come into this world, change, restore this world. He's coming back. I mean, good grief, we believe he's coming in the clouds. Right? (laughs) Throw that out at your local university. I believe that God is coming in the clouds. You are an idiot. That would be basically the response. That's where they're at. And they're in this kind of context where we read. One time, though, Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God. And he was chosen by Lot, and I'm not going to get into that, but in other words, he got to do a really desirable thing for a priest. He got chosen by the Christian gambling system that God had back then casting of lots and he uh, according to the custom of the priesthood he got chosen to go into the temple and burn incense this was a huge thing for a priest it was like you know you always wanted to be able to do that to say you got to do that you basically went in right in front of the the holy of holies with the huge curtain and you burned incense to God and when you did that you got to go in everybody cleared out it was a special thing a special uh, ritual that the priest did before God And when the time of the burning of incense came, 
all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. They had left, right? It was his time. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So Zechariah has this amazing thing. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear, right? I mean, you think about it. Every time we see an angel appear, there must be something about that that is crazy fearful. I mean, this guy was, this guy was living right, and he was scared. Imagine if it was you that God appeared to. Just teasing. Nobody even got that. I thought that was super funny. You know, I'm like confessing. God, I, I thought, I promise, I know, I, you know. I mean, this guy's living right, and he's terrified. And this is what the angel says to him. What happened there? You're going to have to take my word for it. <clears throat> when Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will, joy, will rejoice because of his birth. They have had shame and pain, and now God is promising them joy and delight. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, He's never to drink wine or other fermented drink, and it will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Listen to these words. Many a people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. You see, the circumstances were so hopeless that many, many had left, had checked out, had lost faith, had given up hope. And he said, listen, Zechariah, your son is going to start the whole revolution. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now Zacharias asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Now watch this. This is the scriptures. This is so funny to me. Um, like, <laughs> the diplomacy here. I am an old man. And my wife is well along in years. <laughs> even then, even God knows you're not supposed to call your wife old. <laughs> I mean, that's what's being said here. You know, like, she's just well along. She's, I'm old. <clears throat> the angel answers, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and will not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their, and would you read this together with me? Appointed time. You see, Zechariah, even though he was being faithful it was hard for him to believe. I mean, an angel is standing in front of him. I would like to think that if an angel stands in front of me, that I'm going to absolutely grab a hold of everything he says. 
But the hopelessness of his situation was so severe that even when an angel told him, he couldn't quite, he didn't really believe it, right? I think the words, though, appointed time are the most important thing we need to see about this story. Because guess what? Even though it had been 700 years since God had really done anything and 400 years since he had spoken, God had waited this long on purpose. Even when his people were abandoning him, he didn't stop paying attention. He heard the prayers that had been offered for generations. And as we continue to read, we realize that this is just the warm-up act to how God is going to now come into this world. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he was making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home, and after this... His wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then we read this. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And what I want to remind you of today in just this story is that it is normal for us to experience seasons when it seems like God is silent, He's inactive. It is normal, I believe, for us to at times wonder where is God and when is He going to act and how is He going to come through. And I believe that if Zechariah is any example and he was a righteous man, blameless, it shows us that it is probably normal for all of us to be so uh, uh, captivated by the broken, fallen conditions around us, the hopelessness around us, to often to lose sight very easily of the hope that Jesus gives when he proclaims that he is coming again. Think about it. How many of you have thought about the second coming of Jesus this past week? You don't have to raise your hand. Dave, that's amazing. <laughs> okay. I see why. We don't, right? Let's just be honest. We're like Zachariah. We're trying to do the right things, but um, it's so easy to like, to just, really? And even an angel appears to him and he's like, I don't believe it. And yet, Christmas, Christmas should remind us that our faith is not misplaced and our hope is not in vain. And that God did act. God did come into the world. God did provide for their salvation and ours. And God will come again. And we live every day hopeful in that God is always faithful to his promises. And so when he says, I came once 
because I'm coming again, because I'm restoring this world, and all things are going to become new, and you are going to experience an eternal kingdom, we can live each and every day with a hope that is firm and secure. Amen? I'm going to have to preach a little bit longer because you're not with me. Yeah. And Zachariah reminds us of that. Hope. Hope. He always comes through. Always comes through. And as sure as I'm standing here today, and as sure as the reality is that I'm physically here, and as sure as I feel the skin on my, on my, uh, my uh, arm, more sure than that is the reality and the fact that Jesus is coming again. And he calls for us to remain hopeful regardless of our circumstances, regardless of whether we're in a tough time, regardless if he's seemingly silent or inactive or quiet in our lives, regardless if we look around the world and say, my goodness, how are we going to survive? And what is going to happen here? And Who's going to do what next? And can you believe the condition of things in so many places? And it, it, listen, I'm not just saying this as a Christian, like some kind of fear monger, okay? You turn on the news, you talk to anybody, not even Christian, and there is legitimate concern about the condition of our world. And we could get sucked into that and live just, oh, it's so hopeless. And, and yet, as Jesus' people, we have a hope that the best is yet to come. And that hope sustains us each and every day, in each and every circumstance, in each and every trial, in each and every season of our life. And Christmas reminds us of that. The hope is coming. The hope is that Christ is coming again. And this all is, it means something. And he's going to restore everything. And our best is yet to come. Our best is yet to come. Amen? For some of you, you're like, man, I'm, I'm 60 now and I feel like my best years are behind me. No, they're not. Your best years are ahead of you. Because the hope of the the hope that came from the resurrection of Jesus Christ that means he is coming back to restore this world. Let's pray. Father, make this real to us today. Help us to believe. Help us to be Zacharias. Thank you for sharing the story with us. Help us to cling, to be faithful to you, to the promises of God to be your people even when it can seem hopeless. Help us to believe. Zechariah did believe. Even though it, like us, <laughs> we believe and we do the right things, but so often we can, oh, I don't know, I don't see, I'm not sure. Help us to be like Zechariah, to cling to your promises, to be faithful to you. And know, Lord, that the hope that we have in you is firm and secure. And Christmas reminds us of that, that our faith is not misplaced and our hope is not in vain. You came, you're coming again. 
And this means everything for us. Help us to live as joyful, hope-filled people, especially in this season, but all the days of our life, because you are coming again, and you are restoring everything. And as your people, that means all to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Hope to see you tonight. A lot of fun things planned for tonight. Have a good day.